Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. Biodiversity net gain will see developments required to increase biodiversity on site by 10%. Nick White, Principal Advisor on Net Gain for Natural England, told the audience at the Developers Risk and Resilience Conference what they're going to need to do and how this new metric is going to change development in the UK. Please welcome uh, Nick White, Principal Advisor on Net Gain. Thanks, Christine, and uh, good morning, everyone. And as, as Christine said, um, thanks to the joys of the election period, there's the restrictions on what I can say uh, during the presentation today, but hopefully cover off quite a bit in terms of the background about uh, net gain and give you some sort of suggestions around where we think it's going as well. Um, but also Alistair, very helpfully, actually was able to say things that I can't as well. So, um, so anything about uh, what was uh, previous government policy, reference to Alistair, please. But, um, but firstly, um, Actually, before I start on that, um, if I say net gain, does that mean anything to people? Does anyone, do anyone want to give me, offer me a, a definition or a thought as to what they think is meant by that? There Yeah, essentially, it's looking at a process uh, that's delivered either through development or land management that's leaving the natural environment in an immeasurably better state than it was beforehand. So Alistair was talking about all the, all the kind of trends in data, et cetera, which are pointing to a really significant problem, which we all recognize. And I think actually one of the positives about net gain is it's something that the industry is already beginning to work with. It's a lot of activity has been led by the industry. And it's about using the development process to leave a positive legacy, leave a positive outcome. And, and one that's measurable as well, and I'll come back to that. So it's using that, it's using that process to try and improve the natural environment. So I, I'm not an ecologist, and I like to try and keep things quite simple. Um, so this is my interpretation of what um, net gain means in the context of a world of Lego. Um, so I also live in Lewisham, um, where there's lots of development going on. So that top example is a very familiar one to me. So there's a, an area of habitat that was there in the first instance. A development's come along, new block of flats has gone up, uh, the nature that was there to start with is gone, nice new block of flats. The second one is very much the world of high speed two, if you like. Um, so what they've committed to try and do is to say, we're gonna leave an equivalent amount of nature behind post-development that was there beforehand. And for all the, the reasons you could criticize high speed two, to be fair to them, they were one of the first organizations that committed to that sort of outcome. But actually the world's moved on significantly, and this sector has moved on in particular significantly. So now we're very much talking of a, a net gain, a situation where actually the original example is not good enough. We need to leave a positive legacy. But at the moment, most developments are still going through with that as an outcome. They're not doing anything wrong, they're legally compliant, but it's still leading to a net loss in, in nature. And so we're looking to a process that tries to fundamentally change that, a paradigm shift, if you like, in terms of thinking about what can nature do for the natural environment. And to do that, net gain is best applied at all sorts of scales as well. So if you think about a scheme, 
it's a process that ideally you're trying to integrate firstly in terms of your optioneering uh, at the optioneering stage of the scheme right the way through to detailed design and it follows through the mitigation hierarchy so it's trying to it's trying to inform your decision making inform your design in terms of how can I take this for this development forward in a way that best delivers for the, the what my clients are looking for uh, what the outcome we're looking for for the development itself but in a way that not only minimizes its impact on the natural environment, but that's potentially actually works with that and leaves a, a positive legacy as well that, that people and nature can benefit from. So it's an approach that can be applied at all scales of the, of the development process. And it fundamentally relies on a metric. It replies, it, it's underpinned by ecological advice, but it needs some sort of consistent approach that people can measure and understand what's the impact this development is going to have on as well. And for that to work, you need an approach that can calculate what was the baselines, what was the, what was the nature of the environment before this development started, and then use it to predict or forecast the outcome that development's going to, to, to leave as a legacy as well. So what's the sort of type of, type of nature we're going to leave as a, as a consequence of this? And that metric needs to be designed in a way that's, that's robust, evidence-based, but also that is simple enough for people to understand so you can convey the information you're trying to, trying to convey often to people who aren't ecologists, to, to planners or, or people such as myself as well, where you want information for trade fairly simple, simply. So that a metric, having a means of measuring the impact of your development is quite critical to the success of this approach. I'm going to come back to the metric in a, in a second. But it's also worth bearing in mind that there's different types of, of net gain that one, you hear people talk about as well. So biodiversity is the one I'm going to focus on the most part in, in, in what I'm saying. But you also hear reference to natural capital net gains and beyond that to kind of wider environmental net gain as well. And the latter is absolutely a kind of long-term ambition that many people are working to. And Alistair referenced it um, in his speech. And it's fantastic to see the, the ambition for 2030 set out to try and maximize those. At the moment, the focus very much is on biodiversity as a kind of core underpinning component of, of that eventual longer term outcome. And so the focus um, for, in terms of what I'm going to be talking about is on, on biodiversity and biodiversity net gain. But does, any, does anyone remember the Ron Seal adverts? I might be showing my age now. Yes, what did it say? Do you remember the catchphrase? Yeah, so exactly what it says on the tin. And, and this is why I think biodiversity net gain falls down, because actually it's not just about biodiversity. It's an approach that done well actually will deliver benefits to nature, and that's crucial. That's a, that's, that's a critical part of it. But it also ought to be delivering benefits for people, for local communities, for the, to the, um, the community that's either was around the development or the incoming community, and deliver benefits and process improvements for the developer and for planning authorities as well. If you can get all those things, three things right, that's what a, biodiversity net, a good biodiversity net gain approach is trying to achieve. And so it, it goes beyond, it, it fails the Ron Seal test, if you like. It's, it's about more than, just, it's more than just nature, more than just biodiversity, but, but benefits for people and benefits in terms of the development process. And it's also an approach that many organizations have already been picking up and working with and adopting on a voluntary basis. Um, Louise will be on after me talking about the approach that the Barclay Group have been, been uh, um, taking forward for their schemes. And it's partly because a number of organizations have already seen, actually, there's quite a robust business case as to why we ought to be doing this, why there's an advantage in us committing ourselves to do biodiversity net gain. 
Firstly, in our experience, it can help with de-risking aspects of the planning process as well. So often, uh, nature, the natural environment, is, is heavily contested through the planning process. It's an easy area for, for people to criticise a proposed development around. And actually having an approach that is able to evidence this is going to leave a positive legacy for the natural environment that people can understand, planners can understand, planning committees can understand, can actually help in terms of de-risking that part of the process. It's a mechanism that can really contribute towards placemaking as well, so creating that sort of place that people want to live, work and invest in and, and valuing the natural environment as a key part of that. It can help to improve the resilience of uh, communities and resilience of developments as well by making them green, by using a, uh, investing in suds and green roofs and walls, etc. It can help to make sure that that, that development is resist, resilient to climate change and an appropriate place for people to be wanting to live and work in the future. There's obviously reputational benefits in terms of a positive outcome for nature. There can also, there can also be a financial case to this as well. So one of the, one of the challenges uh, that sometimes gets thrown up around is actually will this have an impact on viability? Um, there's been work undertaken that suggests no, that shouldn't be the case. That actually, this can be done without compromising uh, development viability. And actually, it could become an income source for yourselves as well uh, if you're a landowner. And I'll come back to that in a bit. So there's many examples of where industry is taking forward, development is taking forward net gain. Uh, and that's both in terms of the context of housing. So people like uh, Barclay Group, Red Row and others uh, have all been committing themselves to delivering net gain uh, through their schemes. But also major infrastructure projects. To the extent that it's actually quite unusual now to come across a major infrastructure scheme that hasn't in some shape or form committed itself to saying, we're going to take this forward on the basis of delivering a, a biodiversity net gain through that scheme. So there's a real opportunity to bring these two different development sectors together to look at how can we, do, how can we maximize the benefits for nature uh, through strategic investment uh, through some of these development proposals. And certainly there's existing policy as well that's pushing everyone in this direction. So the National Planning Policy Framework, which got updated uh, last year, um, makes a number of references to a, an expectation that actually development will deliver a net gain outcome through the planning process. And that talks both of biodiversity net gain, but also touches on this kind of wider, longer term aspects or aspirations around environmental net gain. And that crucially, that what's being delivered needs to be measurable as well. And that's a, been a key change in terms of the wording on MPPF, which wasn't there before. So again, touching on the importance of this idea of a metric. And then uh, last year, MHCLG, um, sorry, this year, MHCLG updated the planning practice guidance uh, to go in support of MPPF. Again, that talks in more detail around net gain, talks about the ambition, recognizing that actually the, we want planning authorities to be picking up this, embedding it in local plans and aspirations, both in terms of biodiversity net gain, but also a kind of wider environmental net gain ambition. It also talks about an expectation around delivery both on-site and or off-site as well. So very much an, an encouraging uh, in the integration of, of nature, the integration of net gain into schemes but then looking off your site if that's, that's not possible. And then as Alistair mentioned, the more recently published design guide as well, again, reinforces this point. It's got a whole section on, on net gain and actually the use of net gain as part of the design solution, if you like, for good quality schemes. And so it's really welcome to see you know, these things are already happening and, and, and embedded in terms of government thinking and government practice. So what's beginning to emerge is a, a combination of both voluntary delivery, where you've got organizations committing themselves already, uh, irrespective of what policy is saying, to say, no, we want to, see, we want to deliver this on a net gain basis. And they're doing it because they believe there's a business case behind that. 
and underpinning that is also a, a, a growing move towards embedding this into local plans as well. So um, many local authorities are beginning to pick up on the fact that the wording in MPPF has been strengthened and are matching that in their local plan aspirations as well. So places like London, Greater Manchester, Warwickshire, um, places in the growth arc in Cambridgeshire and Oxfordshire, all looking at actually how can you get net gain delivered through the, the planning process in their place as well. And looking at very varying levels of net gain as an expectation. Alongside that, there's been a number of initiatives, particularly coming out of industry as well, to try and say, actually, we recognize there's a real emerging trend here, and we want to try and embed it, and we want to try and help take it forward. And we want to try and develop some best practice principles around this as well. So in 2016, uh, a combination of uh, Sirius, Saeem, and Aima uh, published 10 principles for biodiversity net gain, which they're at the moment in the process of updating. They also produced some more detailed guidance this year as well, which is well worth having a look at. It's looking at how can you deliver on these principles through the development life cycle. The British Standard Institute is also developing a, a British standard for biodiversity net gain, which is due to come out next year. Briam and SQL have already started to embed net gain into the, the kind of their programs as well, so you can uh, get some extra credits if you look at doing uh, net gain on a voluntary basis through those schemes. And a number of regulators are beginning to start to require it as a particular sector. So Ofwalt, for example, uh, put it into the, um, the recent expectations around water company delivery. So there's a trend here of, of, of a, a, a move towards an expectation that actually development, be it residential, housing, commercial, industrial, infrastructure, should be looking to develop uh, on a basis of delivering a net gain outcome. And actually, there's a number of tools and best practice starting to emerge around how that could happen. To try and support this, um, as Natural England, we committed ourselves to uh, updating a thing called the DEFRA Biodiversity Metric, which was a metric that was first published in 2012, which a number of organizations have been working with and using to try and calculate and measure net gain. And we're in the process of updating that metric to make it more fit for purpose for, for today's development. So one of the things the original metric didn't do, it didn't include any green infrastructure typologies within it. Um, so in July this year, we released a beta version of an update, which I would encourage people to, to go and have a look at, have a play with, test, feedback to us in terms of your experience with it. What that beta version of the metric does, it enables you to measure the uh, change in habitat values of anything from an individual uh, street tree through to kind of very high quality, high distinctive habitats, both in the terrestrial or also in the, the kind of intertidal environment as well. It covers rivers as habitat types. So it's a, it potentially should be a really useful tool in terms of actually helping you to look at what's the value of, of nature in the development before you began, and then being able to forecast what the actual delivery of uh, net gain you're going to be able to achieve through the development process would be afterwards as well. At the moment, it is in a beta, uh, beta phase of development. Um, so we've, we've got a consultation that's live at the moment. It's due to run through to the end of December. It's going to be extended to the end of January to give more time for feedback. And then we'll be using that process to then uh, help us to update and inform the, the kind of a reissued uh, version of the metric, which we'll make available next summer. Um, but it's already got a lot of interest from, from uh, developers, planning authorities. I would encourage you to have a look at that. And as I said, it uses the way the approach it takes is it uses um, habitat features as a proxy measure for the kind of wider nature value of a site as well. And it translates all of that into a language of biodiversity units. Um, 
And it's quite simple to use. You basically need five bits of information in order to run a calculation. You need to know uh, the, the location of the, the site you're looking at. You need to know the size of the particular habitats. Um, what kind of type of habitats are they? So their distinctiveness. Um, what the condition is based on a, a, a standard ecological survey. And then where is it located? Where's the, where's the site located both spatially and ecologically? And most of that should be available information you can get from the local planning authority. And then using those five bits of information, you can drop it into a calculation tool and it will give you your baseline and your forecast biodiversity net gain uh, calculation. And it can be applied at a range of different scales as well. So you can use it to apply at an individual kind of single residential unit scale through to a whole kind of new town, new garden village uh, development. And it can cope with any different types of a whole range of different types of habitat features, as I said, from, from green roofs, green walls, uh, through to uh, very large, very complex, very high distinctive habitat types. So it's, it's available in a, a range of, it can do a range of different things. It also works for different sectors. So it's not just applicable for residential uh, housing. You can use it for major infrastructure projects, port developments, uh, quarries, etc. So it's potentially a tool that developers, of, irrespective of the nature of your development, you can use a single common tool uh, and use a common language around biodiversity units to help understand what you're going to be able to deliver. So I think in terms of where we're going with, with net gain, there's, there's a number of key themes that are emerging. Um, firstly, there's a growing emphasis on uh, net gains needing to be measurable. Um, the days of being able to, of going along to say, actually, we think that this development is going to be able to offset its impacts on, on nature locally, uh, just by including a couple of bird boxes or a bat box, that's not really good enough. There's nothing wrong with doing those, but we need a more consistent, more robust evidence-based approach as to what is the actual impact your development is having on nature and how can you best kind of deliver a, a gain over that. And so having something that's measurable uh, helps you to, to achieve that. Secondly, there's a growing emphasis around a spatial hierarchy of delivering net gain outcomes. So firstly, encouraging uh, development to look within the context of their site. How can I integrate net gain into that through uh, landscaping, through the delivery of design around SUDs, uh, various other aspects of the scheme? Um, or if I can't do that, how can I do this locally? How can I deliver net gains local to that site as well? And also an expectation that yes, nature absolutely needs to benefit from this, but there also needs to be benefits for local people, local communities, uh, so that you can use this as an approach to, to increase the quality of available green space for them. Um, but also, ideally, that it's an approach that delivers benefits for the developer and the planning authority by streamlining processes as well, so to help to kind of get a, a faster planning process. If you're looking uh, as as you're able to do to say, actually, where do I do, um, where do I deliver net gain? As I mentioned, firstly, look on the site. If you can't deliver net gain on the site, then the more that that net gain outcome be delivered into a place that's been identified locally as really strategically important, the better. And then the metrics, et cetera, work to incentivize you to do that. So that could be referencing a local authority's uh, green infrastructure strategy or looking at their biodiversity plans to say, actually, where would I be able to deliver a net gain outcome? that would make and add best value for, for this place. And so it's, it's tr looking at a combination of, of that on, on site or, or locally off site strategic. So I talked about there being a range of, of, of benefits for, for biodiversity net gains and approach. Um, firstly, absolutely fundamental is a benefit for, uh, for nature. Secondly, for people and the process. But in doing so, there's also a number of uh, potential wins here for, for the developer and the landowner. 
Firstly, it's likely that it's going to help you get the planning application through uh, more, more easily. It's going to de-risk aspects of the planning application process. Secondly, it is an approach that can contribute towards placemaking, be seen to make a, a, a contribution to placemaking. But thirdly, if you're an organization that owns land, if you've got any assets in terms of land assets that currently are sitting on your balance sheet as a, a liability, essentially, um, you can use this to your advantage. If you improve the quality of that land, you can potentially, in terms of its biodiversity value, you can potentially then sell that improvement on to other developers that are looking for net gain outcomes as well. So you're beginning to get a dialogue taking place between interesting different types of landowners looking at, actually, I want to enhance the biodiversity value of my site because I can make a financial return from, do <clears throat> from doing so. So just thinking about how net gain could work in practice. So if you're the developer and you're looking to put a development in at, at location A, you've got a number of bits of information coming together that might help inform how you're going to deliver your net gain outcome. Firstly, you've got the metric itself. Secondly, there's things like the kind of wider quality assurance measures, such as the British standard that's coming through, or the, the best industry best practice guidance. And then thirdly, there's information from the local planning authority about actually where are the local priorities here? Where, where, do, we, where do we want to see investment going? And as a developer, you, you then have an opportunity to say, actually, do I want to keep my investment within the red line, within my site? Absolutely entitled to do that. Secondly, I might want to invest elsewhere. And if you are investing elsewhere off your site, then the place that's going to get you the best units, if you like, the best value in terms of net gain, will be option B in this scenario. Because what, that's, what that development's doing there is it's investing into an area that locally has been identified as being important for nature. So you could still go down to option C, but option B would be the best outcome for that one. And then just to conclude, um, talked about this being very much a focus on biodiversity at the moment, um, but absolutely the direction of travel in terms of uh, industry ambitions, as UKGBC highlighted, um, but also others as well as moving beyond that towards natural capital gains and wider environmental net gain as a, a kind of long-term goal and ambition. And so we're doing some work in this at the moment as well. So the, the biodiversity metric too is very much in the, the kind of biodiversity net gain space. Um, we're also testing and piloting a tool called an ecometric, which builds off the, the biodiversity metric. And it's designed to try and capture changes in the kind of the, the, the value of, of underpinning natural capital stocks and assets as well. So how in delivering a biodiversity net gain outcome, could that be done in a way that maximizes the kind of uplift in, in wider natural capital values? And then beyond that, there's a kind of longer term ambition, which is very much what UKGBC is pointing to, which is actually how can I enhance these kind of how can I do for both in terms of biodiversity, natural capital gains, but also enhance or reduce pressures in terms of wider uh, in, uh, pressures on the natural environment as well. And the totality of that being a, an environmental net gain ambition, which we would absolutely uh, applaud and support, and we're delighted to be uh, asked to participate in the UK GBC uh, thinking around this. So uh, that's it for me. Sorry I couldn't say anything about the, uh, what was government policy, but uh, I hope you understand. Thank you. Stay here for question. Yeah. So if I could take some questions from the floor, I'll take them in threes. Other questions? There's one here. And there's one in the middle here. There's one over here. <laughs> there's one over here. Mm. Start. Uh, hi, I'm Silvia Lazzarini. I work for Grovano in the strategic land team. Um, 
I think Grosvenor is perfectly aligned with the hierarchy that you described in terms of avoiding mitigating and then compensating. Um, I'm quite worried uh, about the offsite sort of measurements simply because I think that could generate two things. One, the developers don't work hard on site because you can always pay and offset somewhere else. And then the second is that it can become almost like a tax that you then pay if there aren't sort of ecological uh, improvements identified already. So how do you think the risk could be managed? So just wait, we're gonna take a second at the same time. Um, Bronwyn Buntine, Sustainable Drainage Team Leader at Kent County Council. I have a very specific question about the metric. Um, and I'm assuming your expectation is that's filled out by developers or applicants within the planning process. Um, from my perspective, it's a tool that I can use if I see something's deficient to then encourage people to raise their game on what they're delivering. Um, but there's a lack, I think, of knowledge, um, certainly within the engineering perspective, on how we would apply that. I'm not a biodiversity officer. Okay. Are there any other questions to take at the same time? No. So do you want to look at the off dangers of offset? Yeah. And, yeah. So the way that um, MPPF has been framed, our advice to, uh, to, to other organizations is, Absolutely, always try and look in the first instance to your side, because I think you know, we, there's, a, there's a danger that gets overlooked. And I think there can be real opportunities, irrespective of the nature of your development, to say, actually, I can secure, I can design this, I can design the, the landscaping, I can design the mitigation measures around air quality, whatever, in a way that, that both deliver their kind of functional outcome, but also delivering for nature. And I think you know, the fact that the tool uh, has been changed to try and capture some of those is, is welcome. But, it's, but there's nothing wrong with delivering offsite, and there may be A, sound ecological reasons for doing that in the first place. Um, so what we're trying, or B, it's just not practically possible to achieve a net gain within your development. And so there is a legitimate case for going offsite, but then absolutely what we want people to do is to say, do that in a way where it can deliver most value. So do it in, do it in places where actually your, your investment will be helping to deliver genuine environmental enhancements in a place where it's been identified that those are most needed. Um, and it could be around, uh, as I said, looking at wider local strategies, et cetera, as to where would be the best location for that. Um, in terms of the, the pricing and whether this, this people just jump to that, it's something that certainly MPPF and therefore local plans should be pointing people to say, actually, if you get a, a proposal through that looks like it hasn't considered the on-site opportunities, it has just gone straight to off-site, um, then yeah, legitimately can raise questions around that. Um, as I said, there could be reasons as to why that's advantageous to do it. But equally, a planning authority can use that off-site quite strategically as well, because they can use it to say, actually, in terms of where I want to see nature best improved to deliver the wider um, big bang for buck, if you like, in a place. So how can I improve the, the resilience of the landscape in terms of um, if I'm in Greater Manchester, for example, I might want to do some investments in the uplands so that I can reduce the flood risk in, in Greater Manchester. So using that off-site approach to deliver money into places where actually it can add not just the, the ecological outcome, but can also add wider kind of outcomes as well, <clears throat> if that makes sense. Um, and the, the metric question, can you repeat it? Sorry, uh, so it's gone out of my head. You can repeat it, but it's basically using it to uh, to tell clients to um, that they need to up their game. Is this correct? How they might do that? But also from a local authority perspective, my assumption is this is coming from the developer. But I think that the metric. I mean, I sit next to the biodiversity officers within right. Kent County Council. Yeah. But 
this question where it says. So, they're so are they supposed to, is your question, are they supposed to use it, is the developer supposed to submit yes. their calculation? Yes. Yeah. Or is the planning authority supposed to use it? It's both sides. It's both sides, yeah. It's both sides. So, so it is important that planners are able to understand what the metric is saying to them. And so part of the consultation is around, is it, is it giving you information in the way that you would expect a planner to be able to understand? And we can, we can think of ways it can be improved. And we are running a whole series of uh, free surgeries and workshops for, for planners between now and Christmas as well. So um, if you want to speak to me separately, I can, I can let you know when those are. Um, but then absolutely encouraging the, encouraging the design uh, team within, within a development as well to be thinking about how can they use the metric as a, as a tool that fosters a more interdisciplinary approach so that this isn't just seen as something that's left to the ecologists within a scheme to try and deal with, but actually you can use it to bring together engineers, landscape architects, etc. so that actually the whole process is being thought through in a way that how can I get my scheme to best deliver an outcome for nature whilst also delivering the other bits of the scheme, you know, the other outcomes that this scheme needs to do. Um, so yes, there's a need for making sure that it's accessible and understood by planners and is presenting them with information that's meaningful to, to a planner. Um, and then they can also check that it's not been gained in some, in some way as well. But also, how can it be used not simply by the ecologists within a, with a the development, but also is, is there as a tool that's of wider use for the, for the development process as well? This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer, produced by Simon Mercer, with music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at TC Murray.